SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed in the podcast are individual opinions and might not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 79 with guest Mark Brown. Welcome. Our guest today is Mark Brown. Mark is a principal program manager and working predominantly with Cosmos DB. So welcome, Mark. Hi, how are you? Yeah, really good. Really good. Uh, Although it is, you know, we're in the isolation phase at the time this is recorded, if people listen to it in the future. So uh, it's been sort of interesting from that regard. I presume you're working from home? I am working from home uh, and have been for, I think I'm in my fourth week now. Uh, mm-hmm. They've had us out of uh, out of the cam- off campus here. Um, yeah, it's going okay. Uh, you know, I'm not quite to that point where uh, I'm wondering if that pigeon's going to come back and sit in my window the next day. Uh, <laughs> so, not that level of crazy it. yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might get to, to that level of cabin fever at some point. Uh, mm. I realized the other day, this is what last week. I went four days without going outside. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize it until I was walking my garbage cans out to the street. And I'm like, mm. oh my God. And you thought, I haven't been out here. Yeah. I, sort of, it was shocking. It was shocking. I'm like, wow, I haven't been outside in four days. And how's that company culture wise? Because uh, I've always seen Microsoft as a fairly Redmond focused uh, sort of organization. And uh, I do know a lot of people who normally work from home, but it's, it doesn't seem to be widespread. Yeah, we are not historically or have not historically been geared towards remote workers. And I think most people that have worked with us or for us uh, realize that or have Mm -hmm. tried to look to work with us. Um, You know, I can't speak for how all the teams are doing. I can say that uh, I am really pleasantly surprised how well my team has been doing. Um, Mm -hmm. I was really concerned about kind of velocity of, of work and productivity um, it's been, I'm just shocked. Like, you know, I just had my kind of weekly one-on-ones with all my team today. And this is amazing how much, uh, how much stuff they're getting done. And, uh, yeah, yeah we, we find it highly productive working from home, but, uh, again, you know, that's not everyone, but most people in this industry, uh, tend to be pretty much okay with that. Yeah. I think the only thing that's the downside of this is, um, you have to have more planned interactions, right? So I yeah. think the, kind of one of the, the benefits of everybody being kind of crammed into the same place or room is those unplanned interactions. Like if I had yeah. a question, I'd walk, you know, next door and go tap on my engineering guy's shoulder and say, Hey, uh, I got a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I need to set up a call with them. Uh, so my calendar is pretty full with lots of little meetings and stuff. Uh, yeah. it, you know, it slows some things down. Uh, other things, not so much. And then also, of course, reduce distractions, which uh, yeah, it does. is great. So, Yeah, I think it's good also to have, uh, in many cases, uh, some sort of yeah, chat channels and things that uh, uh, can be used as well. And um, that sort of thing. Well, we- it's been good to see actually some of uh, like the local SQL community and things uh, having sort of virtual you know, drinks at the end of the day or things like that. So <laughs> I've been doing... I've been doing those on Zoom with some friends of mine. Uh, uh, unfortunately, they're all sitting in Europe, and so they're eight, nine hours ahead of me. Yeah. So while they're all having drinks, uh, I'm still working. Uh, <laughs> so I'll hop on the chat with them on the Zoom mm. call. Uh, and I have a nice uh, pub-like background for my thing, just yeah. so it looks like I'm, I'm partying or enjoying myself. But I'm still, I'm still working. Uh, mm. Oh. Although, yeah, Microsoft has had some distributed teams. I must admit, the when we built some courseware, um, I remember having uh, ourselves here in Australia. We had uh, some leads we worked with who were uh, based in Redmond. Uh, we had 
training leads who are based out of Hyderabad. Uh, we had a project manager in Copenhagen. Uh, we had a testing team in Shanghai, you know, and, and so on. It was, it was quite interesting, really, as a project. You know, and I've had distributed projects. I know one of my first projects that I worked on uh, when I joined the company, well, it wasn't my first, but it was right around 2003, is uh, mm. I was working on a Windows mobile launch uh, for a, a mobile operator called, I think they were HCL mm -hmm. out of uh, Hong Kong, and they're actually owned by Telstra. Yeah. Uh, so we had a team here in Redmond, engineering team, and I was the project lead for this thing. So we had engineering in Redmond. We had another uh, partner based out of Redmond. And then I had team out of Hong Kong and then a team out of Sydney for mm. Telstra because Telstra was the kind of the, they were the customer lead, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. They're our large, uh, largest telco here. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're huge. Right. And uh, so you had four teams, I mean, two here, and then one in Sydney and one in Hong Kong, and then uh, mm. trying to coordinate all that. That was great. By the way, that was right about right when SARS hit. Ah, oh, there uh, you go. I was actually, yeah, actually in it's... Hong Kong <laughs> when SARS hit. And... Yeah, I, I flew into Hong Kong uh, just after that had started. And the, my most vivid memory is that uh, while I was on the flight, I remember I coughed once. And I had about four staff members from the flight yeah, come to see if I was okay. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, exciting, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It scared the hell out of everybody. I know that yeah. one of our Telstra guys uh, left right in the middle of a meeting and then called mm -hmm. from a cab and he said, that's it, I'm out of here. And he was, he was hightailing to the airport and went back home. Yeah. Uh, I guess went and hunkered down in the Blue Mountains somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so listen, with your current role, how did you come to be into this? Um, you know, I, I'll tell you, I, I've been at Microsoft on and off for 20 years now. Mm -hmm. uh, I took a year, uh, well, this would have been, I guess, about five years ago now. I took a year off, um, was just looking for something to change and yeah. wanted to get, kind of get back to my engineering roots. So I, I left, this is about 2014. In mm -hmm. 2014, so all through 2015, um, was working kind of as a consultant and uh, you know designing and building solutions and for customers on Azure because mm -hmm. uh, I had worked on Azure uh, prior to that. Yeah, and you know realized I you know I liked it, but I wanted to come back to the company. Uh, mm. It's hard after 20 years. It's kind of like your family, and yeah. uh, kind of just missed it. So I came back and I came onto uh, Azure networking. And I worked on that team for about three years. Um, but then I realized that, you know, uh, I'm not really a networking guy. I've been a developer my whole life. Mm. And I like, I like writing code. I like building apps. Uh, so I kind of looked around and um, talked to uh, some people on this team and said, uh, hey, I'm interested if you guys are looking. Mm. And they're like, yeah, we'd be great. And so we kind of. Uh, did the dance and I uh, joined this team and I've been on Cosmos for, oh, I guess about almost two years now. Yeah. Uh, and I joined, I guess, well, in August, uh, two, almost two years, August. Hmm. Uh, and the first day I joined, they said, welcome to the team. Uh, by the way, we're launching uh, this feature called Multimaster hmm. uh, in 30 days at Ignite and you are the feature owner. Yeah, you were the one talking about it. Yeah, okay. yeah, and I said, that sounds great. I go, what's been done? And they said, oh, nothing. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, the features, the, you know, the code's done, but nothing else is done. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got to go write all the docs, write all the samples, uh, go create a deck and some demos because you're going to deliver a session on it at Ignite yeah. 30 days. And off you go. <laughs> I right. said, oh, man. I said, so I had to, <clears throat> I had to quickly learn the product because I was mm. – you know, dabbled in Cosmos, but I'd never really done anything serious with it. Uh, so I had to boot camp myself on the product and then go learn the feature, which mm. uh, is not a simple feature to understand because you've got a, uh, you know, a part of the, uh, of the, you know, the feature with multi-master is how do you handle conflicts right? yeah. and conflict resolution? And that's not simple. No. Uh, we make it simple for customers, but I had to understand mm -hmm. it at a much more deeper level. So yeah. uh, that's so a crazy... If I days. look at if I look at um, many of the listeners uh, who would uh, listen into this uh, podcast, 
my guess is there's an awful lot who would say Cosmos DB, they would say, I know what it is or uh, I know of it, but most probably will not have really done much work with it at all. Uh, they may have dabbled with it a little bit, like you said, you, you had earlier yourself, but I still find when I talk about it, there's an awful lot of people really haven't touched it too much. So, so if we started there, like the program, the product history, it was sort of document DB originally. So yep. I suppose what was the, the thought of the change to Cosmos DB in terms of naming? Uh, that all happened when we went multi-model, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we were originally a document DB and that was back in yep. 2014. Uh, and that was our, what is now called our core SQL API. Mm. Um, but when we decided to add multi-model support, mm. um, with, uh, I think it was Mongo, actually the first yep. one, uh, we thought, well, we don't want to be, we're going to do more of this, right? We wanted to add other, other, uh, database types on top of us, yep. um, so I suppose, actually, it'd be a good point to define multi-model. Right. So <laughs> multi-model is basically just different types of databases um, on top of each other. Uh, yeah, so you've, how you've, we got do it. An, you've got an internal core, but you can, you can expose different types of databases, unlike SQL Server or something where we have simply a SQL Server exposed that talks to SQL. This is something where we can talk different database interfaces. That's correct. So we have an internal uh, engine, if you will, storage and compute layer. Uh, and that's our core SQL API. That's fundamentally a JSON store. Mm -hmm. And then we can emulate endpoints such as MongoDB. So it understands Mongo commands and then translates those into our core API uh, and then manipulates the data, does all the CRUD operations and, and other yeah. stuff like that. And it's for Mongo. And then we also have support for Gremlin, mm -hmm. uh, Graph, uh, Cassandra, uh, and then also um, the uh, legacy table API from the store. Yeah. So the, one of the original ones was the table API. And so that gave you just, I, I suppose um, the question would be, how is that different to say the tables provided in a storage account? Um, well, the difference is really kind of fundamental to Cosmos itself mm -hmm. and the whole promise of NoSQL distributed data stores. And that is uh, extremely high throughput Yep. Um, because we're horizontally partitioned. So we're a scale out model, right? And that's kind of, you know, if you think about the kind of the distinction between relational and NoSQL databases, they kind of pivot around two basic things. One is uh, extreme high throughput. So we don't, you know, we're latchless, I guess, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't put blocks on data. It's basically, you know, the, the benefit there is you can blast uh, megabytes or, or hundreds of megabytes a second, depending on your endpoint uh, at a NoSQL store, and it just ingests this stuff. The other is the availability. So uh, we're distributed uh, in that mm -hmm. sense, and that's at multiple levels. We have multiple replicas within a region, but we also have multiple regions within an account. Yeah. Um, and how you provide availability is, uh, is through that replication. Uh, mm. And then you, you manage that. Your RPO is managed with these things called consistency levels, right? Yeah. And that's not like ACID semantics, if you will, although we do have ACID uh, within uh, Cosmos. Uh, but this is consistency for data uh, across multiple regions. So data that's, yeah. uh, you know, separated by hundreds of thousands of miles, mm. right? The acid semantics for Cosmos is within a partition. Uh, yeah. So you can do uh, traditional transactional types of work, like inserts on multiple documents mm. or updates on multiple documents, uh, but they have to live within the same partition. Within a partition, yeah. Correct, because that is fundamentally how this works as a NoSQL store is mm. each partition is its own computer. So when you do scale out, you just add more of these more commodity computers uh, and then it's there basically to suck up all your data yeah. uh, as you blast data into this thing. Um, and so another, another model is there is actually a SQL layer sits over the top of it as well. Yep. And, and that's not like a T SQL though. Right? No, no, no. It's a, a SQL, but not SQL as you might know it. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a SQL designed for hierarchical JSON data. Yeah. Right? 
right? So it's not, there's some, there is, there's a learning curve involved with that. Yeah. I mean, there's a learning curve involved with lots of aspects of Cosmos from hmm. a relational background. Uh, understanding partitioning is, is fundamental to scale, yeah. uh, right? You have to have a good partition strategy such that the more data you write, its cardinality is such that it will allow itself to naturally scale out across multiple partitions mm. uh, and do it evenly because that's the key is you want to spread that. You want to spread those rights as, as evenly as possible yeah. across all the partitions. Um, yeah. What I quite liked with the SQL layer is you also had a playground where people could go and play around with the, the language as well. That's correct. Um, uh, uh, which I, I really quite liked actually. So they had uh, from memory, it was a US uh, DA, I think it was, uh, food items and things that were sort of loaded up in there. And uh, and they have a website where you can go and just start, basically, uh, they show you SQL queries, you can run them, you can modify the query, you can sort of see what happens. And yeah. as you say, like you kind of run a SQL query, it's SQL-ish, it's a bit different to normal, but it then returns back uh, JSON documents uh, whenever that gets executed. Um, but I love the fact that they had built that playground. Now, I, I find very few people even know it's there, but I, but I love the idea it's there. And I, I keep thinking that in all the years we've had SQL Server, we don't have that, you know? Uh, there's no uh, copy of Wide World Importers or AdventureWorks or that, you know, anything that's just hosted where people can go up and just learn to write queries. Hmm. I guess you're right. I've never seen anything like that. No. No. Huh. Well, and then I've also, well. yeah, there you go. You know, just for a thing, but, uh, you know, we're, because often when you're sort of people are first dabbling or trying to learn something, it'd just be great if there was a place that they could just pop up there and get known outcomes and get sort of walk through basic queries and things. But anyway, I, go, yeah, uh, I, I love the fact that that's there for Cosmos DB. Well, maybe I'll go tell my friends over in SQL. Uh, <laughs> hey, yeah, <laughs> you guys, I'll give you the source code for this thing, even if you want. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so then sort of JavaScript and you mentioned Mongo. So it's got the leaf API and things. And I've often heard people describe it as a better Mongo than Mongo actually. Well, you know, uh, it depends. Here's the, mm -hmm. here's the key is, you know, we're fully managed. Um, and I guess you could, you've got Atlas, I guess on the MongoDB side, but uh, you know, we were, we were there first. And yep. I'll say this is, Yes, you have fully managed for both, but uh, our level of integration into the rest of the Azure uh, services is is always going to be better. Yeah. Right. So um, there's just so many points of integration. So if when you're building, obviously, you know, if you're working in the cloud, this is you know a function of composing different services to to build solutions that you want, mm. um, and where you can make those linkages easier and have to do less manual work or less engineering, uh, that's uh, an all-out good thing, right? So yeah. you get a simpler uh, simpler experience, quicker to market, uh, just better overall. So uh, I think that's where, you know, we kind of shine uh, is that, you know, we're native to Azure. The product itself only exists within Azure. Yeah. Um, and, and we want to provide that seamless experience uh, for customers, no matter what. Yeah. Um, and so it was interesting that there was a Gremlin layer as well. So uh, Gremlin, for those that haven't come across that, of course, from the Apache and the Tinkerpop uh, yeah. pro project and so on. But I mean, basically a graph API. Yes. Yeah. So, and that's, uh, yeah, that's definitely very, very popular for customers uh, mm -hmm. looking to build um, applications where you've got a lot of these, you know, like building networks and other stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, all the use cases that you have for, uh, you know, complex networks and relationships. Mm. Uh, and stuff, how, do, so. how do you think it fits in comparison with, say, I'm thinking competitors like Neo4j and people like that? Uh, you know, again, it's, uh, it, you know, we're fully managed, right? And I mean, mm. I think if, if it's, uh, it comes back to that same thing, like I'm in Azure, I want a fully managed experience for this thing that's well integrated into the rest of the Azure platform. Um, this is, I think, makes... Uh, a lot of sense for customers mm. to want to consider and use us. 
Yeah, that's good. And uh, we said before, there's a Cassandra interface and I think there's Spark and ETCD and so on. So this is the idea is that it's, uh, we said, so a multimodal database for a start. So yeah, that's that's an awesome thing. Yeah, yep. but, And that's yeah. kind of the key with those is, you know, customers that are running workloads like Cassandra or Mongo uh, on-prem uh, and want to run these in Azure, uh, this should be their first choice, right? Mm-hmm. So these are really, they were really designed for customers to be able to migrate and run their workloads in Azure. Um, you know, customers that are looking, that want to build new, uh, we always recommend they, they look at our core API uh, yep. first. Um, we're going to provide the best support. I mean, everything that's... Uh, are you that's meaning directly core. just via JavaScript? Uh, well, not just in JavaScript. I mean, we've got just uh, the straight API calls directly. Just our straight API. I mean, mm-hmm. we've, we've got support for C sharp. We've four SDKs. So for C sharp, we have a, a new Java uh, sync. It does actually sync and async mm-hmm. um, uh, SDK. Uh, we have a Node.js uh, SDK yep. and we have a Python SDK. And mm-hmm. all of these get a lot of engineering uh, investment and love. Um, and, you know, we're, uh, at least with the Python stuff, uh, and we're also investing in things like notebooks. Um, yep. I don't know if any of your... Yeah, I, they're actually, uh, since T-SQL notebooks have uh, become a thing in recent times, that's increased uh, the awareness of that, I think, for a lot of people. And uh, But certainly, traditionally, sort of R and Python uh, notebooks and so on, anyone who's dabbled in data science is probably... Uh, got used to that, and uh, yeah, I, I do love the idea of being able to use notebooks. Actually, the um, I, think, I also yeah. seen in uh, Azure Data Factory and Azure Data Factory. Uh, I've got uh, clients who do most of their transformation of the data actually in uh, notebooks. In fact, in their case, they were Scala notebooks, uh, but but sitting mm-hmm. inside uh, Azure Data Factory. Did you see that we uh, announced support for C Sharp notebooks? No, I hadn't seen that yet, but that, that does not surprise me. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's a good thing. It's, uh, I suppose for people who haven't played with notebooks, the, the main thing is that it allows you to sort of mix together the documentation in uh, basically written in Markdown most of the yep. time uh, and mix that with the code and the results and so on. And it, it's just like such a rich thing to sort of work with compared to, say, a script. I think they're fascinating. Uh, a guy on my team is creating some notebooks now around uh, kind of IoT scenarios. And mm-hmm. what he did is he built this notebook and it's, you know, like you said, you got markdown cells in there so you can do uh, lots of rich, uh, uh, you know, you can document the thing and, and import graphics into the thing or, or, or link to them. Um, and then he's got a data generator in there using Faker uh, and he's, you know, generating data and jamming it into Cosmos. And then mm. other cells, he's doing um, queries and doing analytics and doing pretty graphs. And it's just, I think they're just fascinating uh, mm. uh, um, tools uh, to be able to analyze data and, and interact with data. Uh, I just love them. I mean, you, you know, these are things you'd yeah. have to, you know, build uh, applications or tools for. Yeah, to be able to do the same thing. Yeah, right. indeed. Yeah, no, I'm seeing a, I'm seeing them used everywhere, and uh, like I do a lot of work with uh, superannuation companies or retirement fund companies, things like that. And yeah, as soon as you get into the investments teams, the data science guys and stuff, they're, they're just everywhere. Yeah. yeah, and you can put them on GitHub and share them. Yeah, in, indeed. Well, they won't. <laughs> yeah, well, to the ones okay. I do. Yeah. It depends on you. Yeah. <laughs> but look, another thing that's uh, been a um, a discussion is I've seen a lot of developers in the past who sort of look at the product and go, yeah, that's kind of interesting. I want to sort of kick the tires a bit and start working. But the, the entry level for getting started with the product was uh, a bit expensive for their, their liking. And so, sure. yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've uh, ever since, uh, since I've been on this team, we've been consistently driving the price down or at least the yeah. entry level. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the product down, I think, uh, you know, it was a, a year, a little more a year ago. Um, it used to be, I think a thousand RU before that it was 5,000 RU mm-hmm. uh, as minimum for a container. And now, and then we got, drove it down to 400 RU. Uh, and then we said, uh, Hey, we'll, 
also let you do uh, shared throughput. So you could provision mm. throughput on the, on the database and then create up to four containers within there that could all share that same 400 RU. Yeah. Um, but, you know, getting it down to 400 RU, that was about 25, 24, $25 US a month, mm. which was pretty good, but still, uh, you know, if you just want to kick the tires, um, why, you know, why, why have to pay that? And so, yeah. uh, just last month, uh, beginning of March, uh, 2020, since <laughs> the mm -hmm. year on there, it just yeah. goes into the archives. Um, we announced a free tier. So mm -hmm. what we said is, okay, new users come and check us out. Uh, or if you're an existing user and just want to, you know, do some quick dev on a new workload, um, provision mm -hmm. a free account. We'll give you a 400 RU and up to five gigs of storage, completely free forever. Yep. Um, and that's been, I got to tell you, when we announced that, it just kind of took off like crazy. Yeah. Um, we had thousands of people signing up mm -hmm. accounts and their subscriptions on wanting to do it. People just loved it. I mean, Twitter was all lit up uh, over that. So uh, we're excited. I mean, that's you know, <laughs> it's a better yeah. response. It's, a, it's, an, it's an excellent, yeah, starting point for that. In terms of functionality, is there anything different in the free tier to the real one? It's exactly the same. Yeah, uh, same service, great. same everything, right? And the key is just keep it at 400 RU. So you'll want to run it in a single region. Um, yep. And just don't, just keep your RU at 400 and keep mm. your data under 5 gig and you're all good to go. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. Because I must admit, I'm not a fan and I've never been a fan of things where the developer tier or the free tiers or whatever have, you know, a different programming surface to the, the higher end ones. You know, I, yeah. I think that needs to be consistent. You need to be able to build code and run it up and down the, the different levels. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So we're excited about that. And, uh, you know, hopefully we, you know, we're not done. Um, yep. We're working on more stuff. I can't, I can't mm. share with Talk you about yet. it as yet. Yeah, indeed. Right. No, but, that's uh, right. Maybe uh, let's just say, just stay tuned to uh, us on Twitter. Azure uh, mm. Cosmos DB is our handle. Uh, I'm the I'm the guy that's <laughs> tweeting yep. through that. Just putting everything, uh, putting all the goodness out through uh, mm. our Twitter handle there, and then our blog as well. We um, I started a blog on that team so that we had a place to kind of share stuff and make yeah. announcements and lots of, you know, yeah, it's good. Get lots Listen, of tips and tricks and stuff that people mm. on this team know that I just, I'm like, God, we should tell customers how to do that. Yeah. I'm like I said, I'm creating a blog. So I talked to the folks over in DevDiv who run all the .NET blogs and stuff. Mm. And I said, can you guys make a blog for me? And they're like, sure. And so uh, they went and created one. And then uh, we've been just punching content yeah, through there. Putting content there. Yeah, it's good actually. I um I remember when I was looking through the the API documentation too. It's at a pretty good level too. Um, yeah, you know, I uh, so I I oversee all of our docs. I guess mm. I'm the, the overhead for docs. Uh, all of our PMs on our team write their own docs on there. Yep. Um, I think they're they're okay. I I want to. I'm looking to gonna go through and maybe try and streamline them a bit. I'm always mm. trying to make things as uh, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a perfectionist, Greg. It's, yeah. I mean, right. mind you, I'm, I'm keeping it in relative terms for a, a relatively new product compared to like, you know, a SQL server or something where the, the, some of the docs have almost feel like they've been kicking around for 20 odd years here. So. <laughs> On our product, uh, we're such a young product that there's no doc that sits that long. No, <laughs> exactly. Long. Yeah. Uh, no, no, that's yeah. good. Hi, this is Greg. Just wanted to thank you for listening to this show and let you know that if you'd like to let me teach you more about SQL Server, we now have both free courses and low-cost courses available online and on demand. The courses include detailed hands-on lab work for you to complete to reinforce your learning, and there are more courses coming in the next few months. You'll find details at training dot sql down under dot com and listen i suppose some of the other concepts um when people first come to this so uh petitions you mentioned before and the idea that there are transactions in there but in terms of the coding so you we talked about the client interfaces and the different ways of talking to it but then there's the server programming side 
Yes. So our stored procedures. Hmm. So you've got two ways to to program for this. There's and and you need both, I guess, in a way. Um, most of your work and operations are going to be uh, through a, one of our SDKs, um, yep. and that's how you connect to it, and uh, that's how you get reference to databases and containers. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you will use um, things like read item async to do a point read or, yep. or create, create item async to do an insert or upsert or mm -hmm. delete. So those are your point operations. And then we have, of course, support for running queries yep. uh, within there. So you essentially can create a, a query uh, and then run that and get a result set and then iterate through that with continuation tokens and then drain the query, basically, or drain the result set on that. Mm -hmm. So that's the client side of it. On the server side, we have a server API that's written in, or uh, that's interacted with using JavaScript. Yeah. Uh, and so here, this is where you would write. So it's kind of like writing Node.js code. Yeah. Uh, it's, yes. Although it's mm. very specific to us. To you, yeah, indeed. Um, and so you would, uh, you would define a JavaScript function that's essentially a stored proc, and it has mm -hmm. a function signature and, and parameters that could be uh, whatever you define. Uh, typically, customers will use stored procedures when they need to have some sort of asset semantics around some operation where they're yep. basically writing or updating or doing some CRUD operation on multiple documents at the same time. So mm -hmm. they'll send an array of documents uh, and then do those operations within the context of that transaction. And if it, everything succeeds with no er error getting thrown, uh, the whole thing commits. Uh, yep. If an error gets thrown or happens during there, then it all gets rolled back. Mm -hmm. um, and for us, our, we use uh, optimistic concurrency in there. So it's a snapshot of your data yep. uh, in there. And then, you know, and then you can use uh, e-tags. Uh, so if you're, mm -hmm. and you would call this stored proc basically using our SDK again. Uh, yeah. So you basically create your array, uh, use your e-tag, or if you're going, or even if you're doing an update, uh, you could you check e-tags uh, as well. Uh, but that's how you, that's kind of the programming model for that. It's not, <laughs> Again, there's a learning curve for this, right? Uh, mm. And debugging stored procs that only exist in a server side uh, environment um, can be tricky. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but you get there's benefits to that uh, in terms of its efficiency, and of course, if you need those asset semantics, you want to do that mm. as well. Uh, yeah. We also have triggers as well, mm -hmm. so you can define a pre-trigger or a post-trigger. The key difference here to understand, though, is that you have to explicitly call the trigger when you yep. do the operation. We don't, triggers aren't like in a traditional SQL Server sense, triggered, if you will, using my air quotes there, mm -hmm. uh, when you do something. Um, and this is because we don't put locks on data and you, 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 you know, we're optimized for, uh, for, for you know, very fast operations. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and um, so we don't, you have to explicitly call those things yep. uh, on there. So that's, that's another. Another th another thing to know, yeah, or another mm. caveat, I guess, if you will. So, um, yeah. Now, in terms of scaling, it's got automatic scaling options as well? That's correct. So last November at Ignite, we announced a preview for what we called at the time was autopilot. I think we're going to change the mm -hmm. name to autoscale, um, although I'm not quite sure yet. It'll be one of those two. Um, but yes, functionally, that's exactly, you know, it is functionally kind of an auto scale, if you will. So how that works and this is, is up and down. Yes. So and how it works is you define what the max throughput you want for your database or container. Uh, and then um, uh, at rest, we will go from 10% of that. So if I say provision 50,000 are you for my max throughput, um, mm -hmm. At rest, it'll sit at 5,000 RU. And then as load hits, uh, we will automatically scale it up. So you will see no, no rate limiting, no 429s, as we call them, yep. um, within your application. And we will scale that up immediately up to that 50,000 uh, mm. RU limit uh, yeah. in there. And then once the load goes away, we'll scale it right back down again. So this is ideal for a couple of scenarios. I mean, certainly for production scenarios where you do not when you have unexpected uh, changes in load, um, this is ideal, of course, because yeah. you don't want to uh, be caught with your application not being able to handle the mm. load. 
Yeah. Um, it also is how, good. How's it getting on at the moment with the increased demand? Uh, because I, I just noticed right now as we talk, there's sort of a more restricted availability of lots of things across different Azure regions at the moment. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I guess what I'd say is we're, we're being cautious now and making sure mm -hmm. that existing customers can scale up to what they need yeah. uh, in there. And then, of course, prioritizing first responders uh, mm -hmm. across all of that. So, yeah, we've kind of locked it down a bit for people coming in to want to create new um, deployments yep. uh, and stuff. But that's because, you know, we need to, you know, protect and prioritize our customers and our first mm -hmm. responders. Uh, was in there, but you know uh, everything has been running fine. Our availability is is unaffected. We're doing great. Yep. Uh, Teams, which is a huge user of Cosmos, by the way, mm. um, has been running. I think pretty much fine. Uh, I've not seen or heard anything. So yeah, look, it scaled really well. We had the virtual MVP summit the other week, and uh, it yep. scaled very well. I must admit, it's still in the category of not my favorite application, but. Uh, uh, they're working on me, trying to uh, get me to think that way. But uh, yeah, um, but I in terms of scale, um, I was super impressed how well it did scale. Yeah, I enabled. Uh, I signed up for their preview kind of branch, if you will, uh, and I got a little slider at the top that now turns on preview stuff, which uh, mm. is great. One of the new things they've got in their Teams preview is to separate uh, the video from the chat uh, uh, thing. So, like, yeah. it always drove me nuts. Um, and also you can't see other chats and other channels going on when you're in a call. Yeah. I'd always get lost. Like where's my active meeting window uh, and have to go back and find it. Now they're separate. Mm. So, uh, so they're, um, you know, yeah, I've, I've had, oh, so many issues, but that's a topic for another day. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I would just comment that most of them are actually more generic, uh, identity related issues rather than, uh, uh, issues no. necessarily with the product itself. And so ah, that that's still a challenge for me, but uh, I've got a good team uh, who are working on trying to resolve a lot of those things. So anyway, we'll yep. see how that yep. goes. Um, now, one of the things also is you mentioned before about a little bit about consistency. And so it's uh, in terms of consistency models for the product. So we've got five uh, mm -hmm. consistency levels within Cosmos, um, which is a bit unique amongst uh, our competitors, which uh, generally provide you two. Uh, yeah, most of them are either consistent uh -oh. or eventually consistent. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. So we have, you know, strong consistency. And as mm -hmm. you might suspect, uh, it is what the name says. So essentially linearized uh, replication and uh, committing of data in every region. So mm -hmm. uh, this is good uh, if you have a requirement of RPO0 uh, or you cannot lose any data. But uh, because and latency, because every time you write uh, to your primary uh, replica or primary region, um, it has to synchronously replicate, commit that data, and act it back uh, yeah. for the whole thing to be committed. So it's basically a global quorum uh, on the right path. Mm -hmm. um, the next level we've got is uh, bounded staleness. Uh, now, bounded staleness is uh, essentially has a staleness window that's defined either by a period of time or a number of updates mm -hmm. and what how that works is um i mean in every case and this, this happens asynchronously uh, now in every case we will replicate and commit data in other regions as fast as possible yep um, but with bounded staleness we actually enforce that such that we'll put back pressure on the on the primary rights uh to get it caught up so that it stays yep. within that staleness window mm -hmm. uh, and then we have another one called uh, session level. And this is an interesting consistency level. Uh, how this works is we use this thing called a session token, which is functionally uh, an LSN. Mm -hmm. uh, and what it does is it's basically kind of a high watermark on writes into a container. Uh, and what we do is we pass that back to the client. And mm -hmm. the client can then do reads using that session token, and they will always get the they will consistent always data, yeah. So I get to see a consistent story, but somebody else might might see different things. That's correct. You basically yeah. will always read your own rights yeah. uh, with that. Now you can pass that session token to other users, say within mm -hmm. the region, uh, and use it that way. Um, uh, 
but generally speaking, if it's a single instance, single writer, you read your own rights, and that's the idea with the mm. session. And then you can share that token if you want. Yeah. And then there's and, the, and then from down from there, you get consistent prefix, and that just means you know. Uh, mm -hmm. I see updates, but they're in order, uh, which they happen. Uh, and then eventual, of course, is just what the name implies. Yeah, Everything exactly what it implies. And eventually yeah. it gets there. Uh, so mm -hmm. no guarantees on order, no guarantees on basically anything. So. Yeah. And the other topic that's often interesting to uh, the data folk is indexing. Right. So and indexing is interesting because you have to consider we build indexes. We're, poor, we're partitioned, right? Mm -hmm. So we build indexes inside the partition. So one of the things people don't always realize is, uh, you know, we have a, uh, an internal ID column uh, for everything. Yep. Uh, but that, it, that ID is not unique across the entire container. It's only unique within a logical partition mm -hmm. within Cosmos. Um, so you can have items with the same ID uh, on different In partitions. different partitions, yeah. Now, not to say you couldn't make it, unique globally, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. across all partitions, you could, and often people will use a GUID uh, as the ID property. Uh, they could, you know, th the other thing too is you could turn Cosmos into functionally a key value store by using mm -hmm. uh, a GUID for the ID uh, and then just turn off indexing, frankly, yep. because why do you, you don't need indexing in that uh, scenario. Yeah. In, the, in that scenario, if you're always yeah. looking it up by, if you're always looking up by ID, Hmm. Uh, so, but by default, we def we index everything uh, that comes in, uh, and the idea here is, um, well, I guess it's just you know uh, an opposite approach, I guess, to how it's done in SQL, where you have to define indexes for everything. Yeah, so we start with not indexing anything, and you add them. Where this seems to be very much everything gets indexed, but you can decide what doesn't get indexed. And that's kind of our approach. So, hmm. because in a in a schema agnostic world having to uh, always to, to do something when the schema changes didn't make sense for us as a design. Mm. So it made more sense. Let's just index everything. Uh, but then customers can then optimize uh, on the right path by excluding uh, properties or paths. Uh, out mm. of there. And that's what we suggest that customers do because um, indexes consume RU um, yep. when you're on your, when you're doing your rights. So, mm -hmm. Uh, just make sure that they <laughs> you don't exclude anything that you need in queries because then uh, you're going to end up with scans uh, yep. or missing data and that's not good. So our indexing what? has uh, been doing, uh, our team has been doing a lot of work around the indexing uh, over mm -hmm. the last year. Uh, we've got support for uh, composite indexes now. Uh, they've done a new, whole new version of our index engine in there that's uh, just uh, really designed to help provide or do just uh, better, faster queries for, for less mm -hmm. uh, on there. So um, lots of new stuff they've been working on. Uh, support for distinct and group by. Um, you know, I think there's still some work there. I know customers are like, okay, that's great. But, you know, uh, it's hard to, to do when you're doing cross-partition queries. Mm -hmm. uh, so, that you know, that's just kind of one of the, you know, things where, where you know, yeah. we need to find other ways of doing that for customers. Uh, things like skip take are mm. tricky when you're having to go across partitions because yep. uh, you have to, these partitions don't know each other. They don't know. That's anything right. About yeah. It. They're quite separate. Right? Yeah. So how do you do a skip take uh, across say a thousand items when mm. 500 of them are on one partition and 500 are on the other? What about yeah. the security story? Right. So Cosmos is secured using uh, resource keys or tokens, mm -hmm. uh, right? So you have a master key, uh, and that's a read-write master key and then a read-only master key. Um, that's for our data plane. Um, we support um, RBAC and, you know, proper... Yep. Role-based security. Yep. Support Access security. Yep. Yeah, on the, on the control plane. Uh, and then you can actually uh, lock that down such that uh, customers can't make changes or change throughput or create databases or drop things. Mm -hmm. um, through the data plane, through the SDKs. Uh, we're also, um, you know, we're, we're actively working on enabling uh, Active Directory on our, on our, uh, on our data plane. Um, yep. You know, some, sometime later this year, 
uh, will have that. So then you can have proper- Well, in terms of Active Directory, yeah. So in terms of your integration with Azure Active Directory, uh, we'd presume to be fairly native. Yeah, on our data plane, not, we don't have that today. It's just mm -hmm. on, our, on our management layer. Yep. Uh, but we're, that's something we're actively working on. And hopefully mm -hmm. we'll have something to show people uh, later this year. Yeah, good. Yeah, because yeah, the, the it's a critical thing yeah, in amongst the whole it thing. It is. Yeah. Um, is there also just a question from my point of view, is there, uh, like even though you have the API for reaching in and out of the product, is there any sort of API that allows people to extend the product in any way? Uh, I suppose they can write procedures and things, but uh, is there any other extensibility or is there the ability to have it call other things in any way or anything like that? No, not really. Hmm. Um, our, you know, as a, as a database, our, our, our North star in this thing is to ensure that uh, we maintain uh, SLAs around latency mm -hmm. uh, and our SLAs around availability. And that's really the driving principle behind us as a product. Uh, mm -hmm. And in fact, we're the only, data service in Azure that has a, a latency SLA. Yeah. Uh, and we guarantee less than 10 milliseconds read, read and writes uh, mm -hmm. the 90th percentile for a kilobyte of data or less. Yep. Um, and on the availability side, uh, we're the only data service in Azure that provides five nines of availability uh, mm -hmm. when you are running in two or more regions. Um, so actually that's an interesting question too, in terms of the availability story, is there, anything that the customers influence in terms of the availability story as uh, like in terms of numbers of replicas or sites or anything like that? Uh, what do you mean by influence? Oh, I'm just thinking if I had Azure SQL database, I'm choosing there'll be a replica in Singapore and so on, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so there's two reasons why you would want to replicate data really. It's mm -hmm. once for availability, so in those cases, they generally want to pick a region that's generally nearby um, because latencies are good and mm -hmm. the customers tend to be in the same kind of area. So if you know, say if you were a U.S. company, you'd run a you know region in I don't know somewhere in the U.S. North yeah, Central, they usually look for a, something in the same geopolitical uh, region. Yeah, something yeah. same. Yeah, same mm -hmm. country, but just far enough away that if a lightning strike or yeah. I don't know something hits or something you have with hurricane or earthquake or whatever that you're shielded mm. and you just fail over and then yeah. keep, keep, keep the lights on. Yeah. I know the, the normal Azure data centers, they said the, uh, uh they aim for having a, available pairs that are at least 500 kilometers apart and, uh, in the same mm -hmm. geopolitical region. Yeah. And there's a, uh, uh, there's a, uh, a slider for that when you provision the portal, but, mm. um, you know, we're in, we're a ring zero service. So we're in every single Azure region on the planet. Yeah. Um, and that's good for availability. The, the, you know, and the other scenario too is customers will use multiple regions, uh, because they want to get data closer to users. Yeah. 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 Right? So reduce the latency because if you know, the further you have to go, the faster your, uh, your response times are. And that's true, not just for reads, uh, but also writes, uh, yeah. You know, uh, and that's when they're using things like multi-master mm. um, in their application. What, what about things like oops moments, like, you know, something got totally messed up. Can I roll back to yesterday? We do have support for point in time uh, mm -hmm. restore. Uh, we're, that's actually something that is not as polished as I would like. Yep. Um, right now we do two copies, four hours. Uh, so you get two over an eight hour period for free. Mm -hmm. um, you can go and ask support like, Hey, can I get, can I get additional retention and copies? Mm -hmm. Uh, I generally recommend customers go and do like a hundred hours that, that'll yep. get them through like a long three day weekend. If someone like Friday afternoon, yeah. uh, write something bad in the database, you'll yeah, have, we have effect. four day weekends here sometimes with like, Easter oh, and things. Okay. So, so yeah. maybe you guys should have longer. Mm. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. It's uh, one of, it's very, uh, I'm always mindful of it because when I configure replication, in SQL Server, the default is 72 hours. Hmm. Okay. Which wouldn't make it across that sort of weekend. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So anyway, um, lots of work going on right now on making our point in time backup restore, uh, mm. more of a, 
more robust, longer uh, retention, uh, more flexible on the frequency, uh, all that stuff. So uh, expect to see something from us later, yeah. later this calendar year uh, on that. That's good, Mark. And so let's, to finish up, what I normally ask people, of course, is where they would see you in anything coming up and so on. But uh, at the moment, uh, I suppose if they see you, it would be virtual. Yeah, they see me sitting on my doorstep, or doorstep, I guess. Uh, yeah, you know, we've got Build coming up. Um, and which is all virtual now? It's all virtual, and I'm not planning on doing any sessions. People on my team will be doing sessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just part of, I'm just doing the planning for that. And then, yeah, you know, I usually like to go hit uh, and do some events across Europe. Uh, and I think all those either got canceled or moved out to the yeah. fall. Uh, I guess now even Ignite is going to be virtual, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm actually quite happy with because New Orleans in September is not my not my favorite. Yeah, it's mighty mighty interesting there at that time of the year. It's a, it's a bit like when they always had uh, Ignite in uh, Florida there and, and it was like uh, October or something. And I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah, I think last year was good when they did it in November because it was the weather was just perfect. That's uh, amazing, yeah, because I've, I've been there times when it was like there was a hotel across the street and and you'd leave there and you'd be fine and you'd be drenched by the time you got, and that, and <laughs> exactly that was, right. that was in the shuttle. That's <laughs> right. So it was like, wow. Or you, or you walk from the Hyatt across the street over the catwalk and you need a shower when you walk. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, uh, and of course the, uh, in that uh, convention center too, I, uh, the notable thing was the distances, you know, I, I think I, Worked out a, just across from like one end of it to the other. It was about a kilometer in, in, inside the, the thing. So you, you had like a session at one end and then the next session is diagonal opposite end of the thing. You think, oh, my goodness, <laughs> where all the staff are running around on segways and things. Yeah. It's crazy. And, uh, you know, that you know, when I got a team of people all doing sessions and then there's customer meetings and all kinds of booth duty and all kinds of stuff, um, you know, I'm probably getting – you know, I don't know, 10, 15 kilometers of walking in a day. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, anyway. I need a, what I need is like one of those little Segway scooters. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. But anyway, so thank you so very much for your time today, Mark. That's uh, been you bet. Thank you, catch Greg. up with where the product is. Yeah. And I hope uh, once all this uh, craziness subsides, we, we see each other at a upcoming conference an or event. something. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Great. Maybe SQL Pass. It sounds like they're still doing SQL Pass this year. So. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, great. Well, thank you so much. Indeed. Thank you.